Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's always great for me to be back in the studio. And this week, I'm going to be joined by a, a wonderful guest who happens to be local to the Philadelphia area. Her name is Milani Cataldi, and she is the chief impact officer of Phil Abundance, which is the largest nonprofit food bank uh, serving Philadelphia and the Delaware Valley region. And she'll be with me in just a moment. Uh, be sure during the show uh, to stay with us during our breaks to hear from our exclusive watch team members, bringing you information and insights in your health, finance, technology, and business. And they'll be with us as we go into each commercial break. And to stay in the loop on all things Women to Watch, please visit us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. And subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, You can pick up the podcast there if you happen to miss the live show. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at Women to Watch. So now I'm honored and thrilled to welcome to the show Milani Cataldi. Milani, thank, so, thank you for being with me. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here talking to you today about such an important subject. It, it truly is an important subject, and I think it's, um, it's very much in the news, and I think it's a very tough issue when it comes to kind of figuring out what the solutions and, and answers are to such a large uh, problem that's not just in Philadelphia, obviously, but global. That's right. Yeah. And I, you know, I always want to start off uh, with my guests and find a little bit more about your background and and who you are and where you came from and what led you to this work. Um, So I understand you grew up in Washington State, which is quite far away (laughs) from Philadelphia. Quite far away and quite different than Philadelphia. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about uh, those young years. Sure, sure. So I was born out in Washington State and... Uh, my father was a technical manager for a paper company called Boise Cascade. And so we moved around a little bit, not a lot, but we moved to International Falls, Minnesota when I was very young. And I actually spent much of my childhood there um, among the, the ice and the snow. But when you're little, it's fun. Right. <laughs> and then we moved back to Washington State um, probably when I was around eight or nine. 
and I had, you know, a, a normal childhood. We grew up in a middle-class family, uh, fairly suburban. Um, I had a, or have a uh, stepbrother and stepsister that I grew up with, but they were 8 and 12 years older than I am. So once they were out of the house and enjoying life, it was more like I was growing up um, as an only child. Mm-hmm. And my parents did get divorced when I was about 12. Um, my you know, my father had alcoholism that ran through his family a little bit. Uh, my parents did end up getting divorced. Um, but I'll have to say that I came through that fairly unscathed. Um, I think my mother uh, really set the tone for never fighting in front of the kids, always taking the high road, never saying anything bad about my dad. Um, they both, you know, had input into raising us. And so my childhood was fairly normal, as normal as I think, you know, anybody else's. Yeah. Well, you know, and, tr- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and then uh, at 21, I decided to get the heck out of Dodge because at the time, <laughs> the small town that I was in was boring. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it takes courage to kind of pick up and go. Um, I understand there was a, a boy that you were interested in at the time. There was a boy. Yeah. Having the boy at the time made it easier on me. I'm not sure it made it easier on my mother. <laughs> Probably <laughs> but, not. But but again, she, you know, I was 21 at the time and, and an adult. And um, the same way she raised all of us, she said, if this is what you want to do, I will support you and I'll be here if you fall. And, you know, stay in touch and let me, let me um, get to know the family that you are moving across the country to be with. Mm-hmm. And she did. And, and so I just felt supported. I never felt like if it worked out, it would be bad, or if it didn't work out, it would be bad. I just felt like taking the move at Tony One and moving across the country was just supported. Wow. And, you know, yeah. I could try it. Yeah. Um, did, so did you move and then kind of never look back? You You left and came to Philadelphia and then... Yeah, okay. I I mean I to this day go home once or twice a year to to stay with my family and get my camping on a little bit, but I love Philadelphia. I always have. Um when I first moved out here I was in the suburbs and so it wasn't quite the same, but about 2 years in I moved into the city and then I never looked back. Okay. I I love the architecture, the diversity, the the grittiness, the Food. I mean, everything about Philadelphia, I think, is just wonderful, and I will always call it home. Mm. Now, you did, you know, you have an interesting career path, but you did go off uh, to receive a BA from Drexel in science. Tell me what your what your plan was at that time. What were you thinking <laughs> about being professionally? Plan is an interesting word. I think that's the one thing I did not have. Okay. <laughs> um, I So... When I moved out here, I had a few different uh, corporate jobs, and then I landed in life insurance with a great company, and I was with them for 10 years in my 20s and into my early 30s, and I made a great income, I thought, considering I had a two-year community college degree at the time, but it I just didn't feel fulfilled, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that forever. And so one of the things that I did, and I think it's really an important lesson, is I just took a step. You know, I I was a runner at the time. I liked health. I've always loved everything to do with food. 
and I started taking some classes at Drexel about nutrition and food science and fell in love. And uh, I did both work and school full-time for a little while and then just couldn't do that anymore. And I ended up leaving my job and going back to school full-time. And I was lucky enough that the the job that I had had afforded me to be able to do that. Okay. But I didn't really have a plan. I just fell in love with nutrition and with the curriculum and science, which I had always hated as a child, so who knew? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. biochemistry and what wow. happens when food is in the body. And it was weirdly, I, I became a big nerd and I fell in love with it. And I'm still in love with it. Well, that's terrific. You know, that's always a great, um, you know, it's something that we're talking about a lot today, trying to have young girls tap into interests in STEM. And I wonder if, I, I'd love to know if when you were young, you just felt as though that's not a field you know, I should be going into, and then later, you know, when you had a little more confidence, followed your yeah. heart. Yeah. I, um, I think when I had more confidence and when I could really focus on what it was about, you know, when I was young, it was, you know, we did experiments in school and it was fun, but I, I, it's nothing I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But once I had the opportunity to really sit down and focus on food and how food affects health and what it does inside your body and what happens when you don't have it or you don't have the right food. The whole world opened up, and I knew that I wanted to do something with that. Um, the next step was uh, after the majority of people graduate with that degree, they become a registered dietitian. And I knew that I did not want to get into clinical work, but I didn't know what I did want to do, and I didn't mm -hmm. really know what was out there. And I was lucky enough, it was one of those pivot points in your life where one of my professors said, you know, the, the chair of the public health department at Temple is wonderful. You should just go talk to her. And you know, I did. can you hold that thought? Um, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and I want you to finish that story when we come back. Absolutely. Stay with us for Dawn's Ear of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi everyone, I'm Dawn Zier, here with today's CEO Watch. Today I want to talk about seeking out cultural enhancers as you build out your talent pool. A company's culture can make or break its success. A poor culture can lead to high turnover, negative attitude amongst colleagues, and subpar performance. One of the things that I like to do on a regular basis is to look at regrettable losses in the company. Who left that I didn't want to leave and why did they leave? Or who left that I was relieved? Time and time again, I find that the answer generally is not whether or not the person had the ability to perform the job, but rather whether they were a cultural fit for the organization. So in hiring, I put a lot of time into evaluating not only leadership and talent, but also whether or not the person will be a good cultural add to the organization. I actually don't like to use the phrase cultural fit anymore because that could result in an organization of sameness that lacks necessary diversity of thought and opinion. Instead, I like to seek out cultural enhancers because culture should constantly be evolving and you want to bring in thought leaders that can build upon what already exists to take it to the next level. So in interviewing, I really try to assess that. Moving from cultural fit to cultural enhancer is important to the growth of the organizational membrane. I tend to ask the culture questions straight out. Tell me about what you learned about my company's culture. What was the culture of the last company you were at? How do you fit? How do you enhance? Three words to describe it, the positives and the negatives. It's easy to find smart people, 
but what's that unique wow factor? How will they help move the organization forward? I look for passion coupled with an ability to listen to diverse opinions and also challenge. Whether you're turning around a company or growing one, it's hard work. You need passion, otherwise you have status quo, and status quo doesn't cut it any day. Thanks, everyone. I'm Don Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm joined by Milani Cataldi, the Chief Impact Officer of Phil Abundance here in Philadelphia. And just before the break, um, Milani, you were talking about a kind of a pivotal moment for you in your search for, you know, what you really, truly wanted to be doing. Right. So I was saying that uh, a professor at Drexel for my undergraduate degree told me I should speak with the head of the public health department at Temple, and I did, and she was a wonderful woman that has since retired, and and she said, you know, if you want to work on a master's in public health here at Temple, you can make it with a food um, focus or food insecurity focus, and you can teach nutrition while you're here, and we'll you know, pay for your school and and a little bit of a stipend to live off of. And so I said yes, not knowing what I was getting into, and I loved it. I loved teaching. Um, It was so great to be able to walk into a room of of 50 young people who are interested in food and what it does inside your body for all different reasons, you know, whether it was health reasons or sports or um, people that wanted to gain weight or lose weight or they just, everybody was interested in it. And it was really fun being able to spend that time with that many young people and be excited about food and nutrition. And then I ended up getting my master's in public health, and my master's thesis was a project that I did for Phil Abundance about food service industry training for folks that are low or no income. And when I graduated, Phil Abundance hired me, and we actually started the Phil Abundance Community Kitchen, and 20 years later, it is still going today, going strong. Wow. Yeah, you've been there for quite some time, not always in this role that you have today. Um, I wanted to know, I, I see the term food insecurity often throughout you know, the research I was doing in preparing for the show. Is that a new term? Um, what exactly does that mean as opposed to hunger? Well, it's it's not a new term. It's a more specific term. Um, the USDA is what is the one that really has come out with what that means. And there's a set of questions um, that the USDA puts out and that different uh, businesses or organizations use to question people about um, if they have enough food, if they don't have enough food, how many meals have they had to skip or how many meals have they had where they were or times have they had where they were unsure where their next meal was coming from. 
And depending on the answers to that set of, uh, it's under 10 questions, it puts you either in the food secure, food insecure, or very low food insecure um, stage. And that starts to give the rest of us an idea of how many people we're talking about that need help. So to give you an idea, Phil Abundance helps to feed about 90,000 people a week in the nine counties that we serve. And there are probably 700,000 in our nine counties that need help with food at some point during the year. You know, I couldn't get over the numbers when I saw that. You know, one in five people in Philadelphia are hungry. That's right. That's right. I mean, we've got a, you know, we are unfortunately the poorest large big city in the country. Our poverty rate is at about 25%, and over half of the people in poverty, or almost half of the people in poverty, are uh, at what's considered extreme poverty. So their their households are living on less than about $900 a month. Wow. That's food, that's rent, that's school supplies, that's everything that a family needs. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now, of course, when we talk about this, so this is, you know, the, the, the statistics and the truth of the matter. I know that one of the things you're very interested in, in achieving um, in your role is not just to feed the poor but or the hungry, but to, you know, turn this cycle around. That's right. So how can uh, we, what, what can we do? Well, so... Um, let me give you a little bit of background of how Phil Abundance got here, because I, I have to say I am so proud of this organization for never standing still and for always taking bold moves. I think that's why I've been able to stay here for 20 years and never get bored, because we are always on the edge of really trying to solve the problem. I think traditionally food banks have saved the day by feeding people every day, but now some of us are really trying to become anti-hunger organizations and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And Phil Abundance's first step in that direction started with the Phil Abundance Community Kitchen. So that is a 14-week full-time job readiness workforce development program for adults 18 years or older that have low or no income and generally a, a fairly spotty work history. So... It's probably around 60 to 70% returning citizens, which are folks that are coming out of the prison system, and 100% people that just need a second chance. You know, something went wrong in their life. They were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, they had somebody in the, in the household that had a health problem that knocked them off their feet. I mean, there's, there's a million reasons why somebody falls into a bucket that they can't crawl out of, and they just need a second chance. And so the Phil Abundance Community Kitchen is about that. Um, It is 14 weeks of culinary arts and safe food handling training. It is really about life change. So there's a, a very strong life skill component and job readiness component that's really working with people about the rules or behaviors that used to work in their life and the rules and behaviors they need to adopt to now be successful in their new life. And I have to say, Sue, it's not an easy program. It's boot camp. It's hard. So we only have about a 60% graduation rate because we don't graduate folks that are not ready to work. But for those that graduate, we have an 80% employment placement rate 
And then at one year, 75% are still employed. And at two years, about 70% are still employed. So the program is working. Yeah. I want to talk talk much more about this and ask you um, really kind of your own philosophy and views, having worked with these people. Uh, We're going to go into another break. Stay with us for Dr. Mary and Richie for your health watch and Terry and Maggie for finance. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. You've heard the expression, use it or lose it. If you don't practice a certain skill, it might disappear. If you don't do physical exercise, eventually you lose strength, stamina, and endurance. We know the value of exercise. Moderate to vigorous exercise stirs your heart, raises good cholesterol, strengthens bones and muscles. The result? Lower risk of stroke, heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, and many cancers. It helps control blood sugars even if you don't lose weight. And it may improve brain function, decrease risk of falls in older adults, and reduce stress, anxiety, and depression. Unfortunately, many Americans spend more than half their waking hours, eight to 10 per day, sitting at a computer or commuting. According to the NIH, National Institute of Health, sedentary behavior is linked to a shorter lifespan and a wide range of medical problems. Researchers from University of Southern California say, get up from your desk and move around. Even short spans are linked with a smaller waistline and other indicators of good health. At the NIH, Dr. Charles Matthews studies exercise and cancer risk. Even with brief activity, your muscles contract, you maintain balance, and you resist the force of gravity. Sitting for longer periods, there's reduced physical demand, metabolism slows, and you store extra calories as fat. Dr. Stephen Moore says walking 10 minutes a day may add two years to your life. 45 minutes a day may add four years. Researchers at University of Pittsburgh recommend a combination of less sedentary behavior and more time in motion, even light activity like household chores or gardening. What can you do? Take the stairs, not the elevator. Walk with vigor like you're running for the train. Put your treadmill near the TV or at a book stand. In hot or cold weather, walk inside the mall or walk to the train instead of driving. So divas, walk with me, 10,000 steps a day, because if you're not moving, you're not grooving. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch, Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie. And this is Terry. And we're from Fortis Wealth. September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. Most Americans need life insurance or need to update their coverage. There are many types of life insurance, but all of them pay cash, yes cash, to your beneficiary after you die. No one wants to think about it, but if someone depends on you financially, it's a topic you should not avoid. 
Here are some examples of life stages or events that might trigger the need for life insurance. You're getting married, or you already are married. Many families depend on two incomes to make ends meet. If you die suddenly, would your spouse have enough money to cover daily living expenses, liabilities, and funeral costs? If you're a parent or about to become one, raising a child can be rewarding, but it's also expensive. If you had died yesterday, would your spouse have the resources to provide for your children and fund their education? Even parents who don't work outside the home need life insurance because they provide services that would be expensive to replace. Think child care, transportation, managing the household. Life insurance is even more important for single parents as their children rely on them for everything. As your career advances and you earn more money, your lifestyle expenses probably increase too. Updating your life insurance can help ensure that your family would be able to maintain its new and improved lifestyle. If you are retired or planning to retire, you may feel that your need for life insurance has passed but your spouse could outlive you by many years. Would they be able to maintain their lifestyle or cover potential long-term care expenses? Adequate life insurance can help widows and widowers avoid financial struggles in retirement. Most single people don't have a pressing need for life insurance, but there are exceptions. Are you providing financial support for aging parents or siblings? Do you have debt that you wouldn't want to pass on to family members? Consider life insurance. Life insurance is available through licensed professionals, directly from the insurance company, and many times through your employer. Please review your situation and come up with a plan to protect your family's future and what you have built for them. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Milani Cataldi. I love your name, by the way. I love to say that. Milani Cataldi. (laughs) I had nothing to do with it, but thank you. (laughs) Chief Impact Officer of Phil Abundance. And, you know, as I was listening to you before the break, there's so many variables around this issue. And I'm always most interested in always kind of getting to the root of a problem, getting to the right, the truth of the matter so that we are not. Um, enabling, but we really are um, kind of helping people to help themselves. Working for almost 20 years with Phil Abundance, you must see all kinds of people, all kinds of families. And I wonder what insights you have to yeah, share. It's, you know, it's tough. We, we sometimes still run across um, people that don't understand the barriers that the communities that we serve are up against. You know, so sometimes there's a, a perception of, well, they, they didn't work hard enough or it's their fault and, you know, by giving them food, we're just enabling that problem further. And I'll have to tell you that what we're really talking about is generational poverty. We're talking about generations of folks that have had to try to dig out from not having enough resources to feed themselves or their children or have a safe roof over their head or have the health care that they, that they need. And so once you start going through generations, you start to see the, the challenges and the walls that these folks are up against and that they have to climb out of just to survive. And I'll be honest, you know, I really didn't know that much about it before we started the Community Kitchen Program. And in the early years, I was there every day running it, teaching, working with folks, helping them get jobs. And the challenges that these people are up against and have to try to get through every day, Sue, I wouldn't make it. 
with my current social support structure, I don't think I would make it. Mm. When you start talking about years of um, lack of health care, I'll just take that as an example. And so kids are living in really old homes with a lot of mold and some lead, and there's a really high incidence of asthma. And then parents who don't have the resources are trying to work and take care of their kids who have asthma. And so their kids are often coming out of school because they're not feeling well, and the parents can't afford childcare. And it, it's just this cyclical thing where we say, get a job, but it's not that easy. Right. And then when folks do get a job, they're being paid 7 8 even $9 an hour. That's not an, a living wage in Philadelphia. And so even the $12 um, average placement wage that we have for the community kitchen is not enough. And so I'm excited to say that we, um, a couple of things. Number one, we are building and moving to a new facility that will be done next June. Oh, great. And number two, one of the first programs we're going to put in place is a post-graduation uh, collaboration with some other organizations to do really intense coaching mm. to help people uh, with continuing education and apprenticeships and whatever they need to get that $12 up to $15, $16, $17 an hour, which is what they need. Right. I think that's a great idea. And I was just going to ask you if, you know, tell me about the people who have been through this program that have been successful. You know, oh what goodness. is it that what is it about one person that's able to, to turn that around? And I, I, <laughs> I could go on, I could go on and on about that. It's it's the best thing. And I, and I have to say we have graduations four times a year and it's you just can't fully appreciate the effect of the program until you come to a graduation. And you see not only somebody getting up and graduating and speaking because they had 100% attendance or they are the valedictorian and they've never finished anything like that in their lives, but to see the grandparents that raised them or their children in the audience saying, that's my dad or that's my mom, mm. you know, the ripple effect of that is, is worth everything. And so we've graduated to date over 900 students, and they are working in uh, healthcare and schools and shelters and restaurants. We now have graduates hiring graduates. Um, word of mouth is one of the biggest ways that we get new students into the program. So we have family members who are recruiting family members into the program. Uh, we have employers that are in the audience at graduation every time, and we have employers that are up speaking saying this is such a great organization and such a great program, and the people that we hire out of here have such heart, and they really want to work, and we love working with them. You know, so we, we actually have a lot of employers that come to us because who wouldn't want to hire from a program where they've had recent training, you can try them out for two weeks on the externship for free, and if you hire them, you've got a, a really passionate uh, food service worker who wants to grow, and you've got a two-year employee assistance program built in in full abundance to continue to help them after they graduate. Oh. So we have graduates everywhere. They come in to, to speak to new students. Um, it, it's amazing. We have graduates that have gotten their families back. We have graduates that have gone from being homeless to having their own home. It's it's just amazing. Yeah, you know, that to me would be the most inspiring aspect 
of what you're all doing is to have this opportunity for these people who have done it to speak directly to the people that are going through the program. And I wonder also the, you know, um, do you have some of these students that go into other fields or industries outside of um, food, uh, health, nutrition, um, you know, that arena? In other words, there probably are people who will go through this program, but their heart lies in, I don't know, technology or something else. That's exactly right. We do. So we track our graduates for a minimum of two years. We certainly are available longer, but we stock them for two years. And we do have some that that leave food service and stay in touch with us and do get employed in other areas. So mm-hmm. whether it's in healthcare or they go off to start their own business. Um, that's why I say the Phil Abundance Community Kitchen is really about life change and it's packaged as a culinary arts program. But it's really about life change. It's about how to set goals and it's about how to set boundaries. Right. And it's about how to find the right set of people to be with. And sometimes that means leaving other people mm, behind. That's right. And that's hard. That's it's right. Hard. Yeah. I, I'd love to find out when we come back, you know, um, how you personally have been changed um, with your your work with this organization. Stay with us for Mary Manzo for your Tech Watch. We'll be right back. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Do you have a smart home or smart devices and have concerns of privacy or hacking? According to Statista, there will be about 42 million smart homes by the end of 2019. In addition to our computers and iPads, we're utilizing other smart devices like smart light bulbs, baby monitors, smart alarms, and more. And with these devices come great responsibility to ensure that they're secure from the outside world. In an article on Wirecutter, I read, if a hacker can access your smart light bulb and toggle its settings to at home, they might also be able to control your alarm system, making it possible to disable an alarm to slip into your home undetected just by messing with your smart bulb settings. Smart home devices can also expose a home to other security nightmares like access to your wireless network. Some devices store your Wi-Fi password, giving a hacker access to your network's activity, allowing them to snoop on you entering credit card information while shopping online. Now, I know all this sounds scary, but rest assured, most hackers are not interested in the common household. They're typically after much grander things. However, you should take precautions. Smart home security starts with your router. This device serves as the main connection between your gadgets and the outside world. So lock your network down with a password, one that's unique and not shared with other accounts or devices you have. Besides your home network, use unique passwords for everything, including shopping sites you visit. When selecting devices, stick with reputable brands because these companies have the resources to devote to testing and updating security. And as an added security measure, reboot smart home devices once a week and update the software on these devices often. Having a smart home has many advantages and is extremely convenient. 
but I encourage you to do the research to ensure it's locked down and secure. For more information on this topic, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Melania, I had wanted to ask you this at the top of the show. Tell me, your um, title is Chief Impact Officer. How it is. is. It, how, so how is that different from a CEO? Um, and, and really, I'd love to know a typical day for you. <laughs> a typical day. That's a big loaded question. I, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> Let me come back to that. As, as Chief Impact Officer, what is it Yeah, that you're focusing on day to day? Sure. So it's actually a new title for me. I was Chief Operating Officer for many years here, which really was about getting the food in and out to the people who need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll have to say once again that I'm really proud of Phil Abundance because we realized that we wanted to do some programming around ending hunger for good, but when we put that on top of other people's day jobs, mainly mine, it didn't go very far because, you know, it, people have a lot to do, and ending hunger for good is a big charge. That's right. And and so Phil Abundance in March of this year actually reorganized and uh, formed a new department that is ending hunger for good. And I came over from COO to CIO, Chief Impact Officer, and my department with my staff is really focused on programming and collaborating with other, what we call the social determinants of health, and that's kind of a boring term, but it's healthcare, housing, uh, workforce development, and education, and financial literacy. So the idea is that hunger doesn't happen in a silo. I mean, as I mentioned before, the the people in the communities that we're serving have so many challenges that you can't solve just one and expect everything to be okay. And so now across the country, organizations are coming together from different sectors to tackle poverty together. And Phil Abundance as an anti-hunger organization wants to be part of that movement. And so the new department and my new role is really about spearheading a strategic direction for Phil Abundance. Not that we're going to stop feeding people every day. We will be doing that for as long as it's needed. But to take a certain percentage of our food resources and, and our staff and our time and really work with these other organizations to see if we can get at some longer-term outcomes around food insecurity. Mm. You know, you had mentioned um, the phrase life change in in the uh, previous segment, and I think you're so right about the fact that, you know, at the root of it is always kind of um, personal development, right? That right. that ability at your core to pull yourself out of a, um, a dark place. And I, I want to first I want to ask you how you have been personally changed by doing this work and and if you can give us some um, positive feedback, some hope from what you've seen in your most recent work. Oh, absolutely. So I can say without a doubt um, from doing this work, I now understand what courage really looks like. I understand what being brave or selfless really looks like. Um, I understand what sacrifice really looks like. And so I know that the problems or challenges that I've had in my life or that we as an organization may be having on any given day is really nothing compared to the challenges that, that some people in our communities are facing. 
And with that, I'm continually energized by the people that I work with who are passionate about changing this problem for good, Mm -hmm. not just putting a Band-Aid on it, but really figuring out how do we move people out of food insecurity so that they can afford the food that they need, the healthy food that's culturally appropriate that they need and can choose on their own. And I think this work and this organization has taught me that nothing is too big to tackle, but that you can't do it alone, right? I can't do it alone, and more importantly, Phil Abundance can't do it alone. We need to work with other organizations that we need to do this together for our communities. We all lose if our communities and our neighbors lose. That's exactly right. Um, I know that you have a lot of uh, wonderful partnerships with local organizations. Do you want to talk about any of those and what you might be doing together? Sure, absolutely. So we have an exciting program happening right now out in Montgomery County. We are partnering with Habitat for Humanity and with uh, one of our strategic agencies. It's called the Pottstown Cluster of Religious Communities. And the partnership is a two-year program where folks that are coming into um, PCRC and saying that they're food insecure and needing food from the pantry are allowed um, as much food as they need during the course of the program, so they become food stable for that time. We sign them up for a course that Habitat teaches on financial literacy. It's a, an eight-week program uh, twice a week, and folks come out of there being able to develop a financial stability plan for their household, and then they're given ongoing case management and a one-on-one financial coach for a minimum of another six months to help them implement that plan. So we're talking about how to manage debt or how to open a checking or savings account. Um, And people are learning. And the next step will be what will it take to actually move them up the ladder of stability. And I can tell you that workforce development will probably be the next thing that we bring in because as we're hearing from them, it doesn't help to know how to manage your money if you're not making enough. (laughs) This is true. Yes. You know what I think, you know, education really is so, so important. And I wanted to ask you your take on a local um, organization called Micro Society. Are you familiar with Carolyn King Richmond's work? I am not, but I'm writing it down. Okay, because I think what what she's doing and what she and her her husband have started many, many, many years ago is with children. So from the start, teaching them what it takes to live in a society. So in other words, it's not just classroom lectures and books. The children take on roles of people in a community and they learn from, you know, the from kindergarten about money and business and government and I love that. Isn't that a super idea and I I think that, you know, always starting at the very very beginning with any um person in kind of teaching them responsibility and which leads to self-esteem and confidence is the way to go in addition to, you know, kind of focusing on what's happening today. Right. And it's really, it sounds like life skills. And sometimes I feel like life skills are are left out of the curriculum. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. well, leaving, you know, we're, we're towards the end of the show, and I'd love for you to leave our listeners with um, just some hope around this topic. And I know that you, you know, you're just someone who's looking at this from a very positive place, uh, and you must be seeing some some good things coming about as far as the global change. What can you share? 
I really do. I, and I will tell you that outside of our country, other countries have gotten to this place before us where um, health care and food and housing need to work together. And it is working. And they are pulling people out of poverty in large numbers. And that gives me hope. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and across the country here, I am seeing a lot of organizations stepping into this kind of work. So I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to pull it together and once and for all really make some change so that we have a more just and socioeconomically fair society for everybody. You know, I want to mention as well, you, in addition to doing all of this, you happen to be a, a mom of five children. I am. I am. (laughs) Right? So that is impressive as well. You're busy and you have rescue animals, I believe, as well. Yes. Our motto at our home is our family is very fluid. And if you can help, why wouldn't you? And so I think sometimes to my husband's chagrin, we do. (laughs) Listen, I I so appreciate you taking the time to come share a little bit little bit about yourself and Phil Abundance, and I hope you'll stay in touch with the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I so appreciate being offered the chance to talk about it. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so, so much to my sponsors and advertisers for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.